Hi again, everyone, and welcome back to Medicaid Leadership Exchange, a podcast series that explores priority topics for Medicaid leaders. My name is Hillary Kennedy, and I am the Program Director for Medicaid Leadership at the National Association of Medicaid Directors. NAMD is working on this podcast series with our partners at the Center for Healthcare Strategies, and it's made possible by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. We're continuing to feature conversations between Medicaid directors and members of their executive teams as they share their insights and strategies on a variety of key topics. For today's session, I'd like to introduce our moderator, Mark Larson. Mark is a familiar voice to those of you who listened to our first series of podcasts or who have engaged in Medicaid leadership development work with CHCS at some point over the last several years where he's the Senior Vice President for Leadership and Capacity Building. He's also an alumni member of NAMD as the former Medicaid Director in Vermont. With that, I'll turn it over to Mark to say a few words and welcome today's conversation participants. Mark? Hillary, thank you. And uh, we welcome everyone to this podcast today uh, on a topic that is really essential uh, for folks involved in Medicaid, uh, and while maybe not necessarily something, fiscal forecasting may not be something that everybody thinks is the most exciting topic in the world, uh, really a very important topic to state government, uh, to state budgets, um, and we're really excited to have two wonderful participants in our podcast today. Uh, Kate and Mike, we're grateful for you joining. And if I could, could I ask each of you to introduce yourself and uh, share with us the roles that you play in the state of Connecticut? Hello, Mark. This is Mike Gilbert. I am the uh, Chief Financial Officer here at the Connecticut Department of Social Services. Um, have been in that capacity for uh, about five years now, but have a longstanding history of um, working for the agency in the fiscal area. Um, and also have some past experience working in a fiscal capacity for the uh, legislative office um, here that handles uh, health and human service agencies. And good morning, Mark and Hillary. We're delighted to join you. This is Kate McAvoy. I'm the director of the Division of Health Services here at the Connecticut Department of Social Services. Uh, we're a uh, large-scale human services agency in Connecticut, and we also are the Medicaid agency. Um, so I am the Medicaid and CHIP director for Connecticut. Kate, Mike, thank you. Uh, so we know that Medicaid plays an important role in providing access to care for millions of Americans. Uh, we also know that Medicaid often represents uh, one of the largest portions of state budgets, uh, sometimes 25% or more. Uh, and we know that there's a challenge that uh, Medicaid enrollment and spending growth often tends to be counter-cyclical, rising when state budgets uh, and state economies are actually struggling. And so our conversation today is uh, uh, focused around strategies that uh, and lessons learned from your experience of trying to build alignment around fiscal forecasting uh, and working with your partners uh, both in the executive branch and the legislative branch. Uh, and so recognizing that strategic sustainability is a topic that encompasses a, a variety of components, we wanted to focus today's conversation on the decisions that you make to help identify what to prioritize as you create a sustainability strategy and how to go about the forecasting process to set targets. And uh, I'd like to start by asking you, Kate, 
how you and Mike work together to identify the strategies around sustainability and more broadly, and then specifically forecasting. When do you bring him into the process and uh, how do the, the two of you work together? So that's a great question, Mark, and I think it's it's uh, really a, an, an essential feature of uh, a Medicaid director's experience is uh, building a relationship with uh, uh, the person who's responsible for finances at our respective agencies. Um, I'm very fortunate uh, in that Mike is not only a long-tenured person in Connecticut, um, has the worldview that spans both our department as the Medicaid agency and also, as he said, the uh, perspective of financial analysis and forecasting at the legislative office. So he brings that kind of cross-branch uh, expertise. Um, but he also thinks like a policy person. So we have a, a rare uh, opportunity uh, always really to caucus with Mike in terms of strategic priority um, as it's situated in not only the how we pay for it, but how we're situating it in our overall cost profile and our trends going forward. Um, so I'd say that relationship piece is extremely important. Um, and I'd, I'd say from our standpoint, um, avoiding kind of compartmentalizing roles is very helpful. It's certainly been helpful to us. We don't think of Mike as only the dollars and cents person. We really regard him as a, a shared partner in envisioning and mapping the strategic direction. Um, specifically in Connecticut, you know, uh, we, like other states, had a history of use of capitated managed care. Um, we uh, took a hard look at that um, and at a watershed year of 2012 made a lot of decisions mutually across branches in Connecticut, um, certainly uh, led at the gubernatorial level, but uh, re representing a kind of good intersection of interests across the Medicaid agency and the legislature, uh, took a hard look at the, the fun foundational structure of our Medicaid program and at that time um, really elected to continue uh, the, the already existing migration away from that capitated managed care structure to a self-insured model. The reason that it's very important that we start there and talking about sustainability is uh, examining that structure uh, during which we essentially brought stewardship of the program in-house uh, uh, in partnership with some administrative services organizations enabled us to free up resources from what we'd historically been investing in the, the administrative costs of capitated managed care and reinvest them. Reinvest them in the type of uh, care delivery reforms that we believe were be important to actually controlling costs. Um, so the investments we could make in preventative medical, behavioral health, and dental benefits, uh, coordinating that care through intensive care management, and then the structures that started to emerge to the Affordable Care Act, uh, like health homes. Um, also, simplifying our structure so that we have essentially one program for all participants that has the same uh, eligibility standards, the same utilization standards, uh, the same expectations uh, across the board for both members and providers. That simplification and standardization uh, had uh, at its bellwether improved service for people, uh, but we also have evidence that it has incredible value from the standpoint of cost efficiencies. So I'd say um, back to kind of the root of the question that the relationship's key, it's about kind of transcending a narrow view of our roles and it's about examining what opportunities we have within the superstructure of Medicaid to control our destiny. For us, that was about you know, increased investment in prevention, coordination, and finding the resources in our existing system to capitalize that. 
Katie, thanks. Uh, part of what I take from your response is the importance of uh, having a strategy around how to control costs and to manage care to the benefit of your members. And uh, Mike, maybe I could ask, as, as you help Kate craft that strategy and plan internally, do you have strategies that you engage in working with your partners in the executive branch and uh, financial partners in the legislative branch around how to create alignment around specific fiscal goals and strategies? So that is a great question. Um, I would just say that uh, I think that Kate has put together um, a strategic vision for the Medicaid area um, that has allowed, I think, both the uh, both our office and um, other entities, the executive uh, budget office and the legislator legislature, um, to uh, focus on and to achieve sort of mutual alignment around. I think that you know, as you described, it's a a strategic structure um, that, while it supports cost containment, it's primarily around um, improvements to uh, member uh, services. And so um, it serves both purposes and it resonates, I think, throughout, um, you know, the different partners who are involved. And so it, uh, you know, it allows us to then um, come up with financial strategies that sort of uh, work within that framework and, uh, you know, support that framework and we can achieve uh, both goals, um, uh, generally speaking, <laughs> not necessarily uh, always, but we can generally achieve those mutual goals um, you know, simultaneously. So uh, that framework has been invaluable. I think from a you know, more particular on the financial side, I think our agenda has really been around you know, how can we support that agenda? Um, what are the tools that we can uh, develop to support that agenda? How can we sort of spread the word or how we can uh, share information, um, provide a level of financial transparency, you know, that supports uh, people's understanding of where we are in, um, you know, in terms of performance against that uh, strategic agenda. And so all those sort of things are, um, you know, some of the areas that we have uh, focused on um, when we're asked for, um, you know, what sort of financial uh, adjustments or budget options we should put forward. I mean, our first, uh, you know, reaction to that is to try to structure our proposals within that broader strategic framework. Um, you know, uh, as Kate was saying, care coordination, um, rebalancing, um, you know, targeted investments or reinvestments, um, you know, shifting uh, dollars to follow the orientation of the strategic uh, plan. So. Um, that really helps us frame how we move forward. It helps build a consensus around what we're trying to do, um, and I think brings together the different uh, uh, stakeholders, executive and legislative, um, you know, around those general principles. Like that's that's really helpful, and uh, makes me think that a a key process where a lot of those conversations kind of uh, center is the the fiscal forecasting process that often drives uh, state budgets. And we recognize that there's a lot of variation state to state about how the legislative and executive branches work together around forecasting. Uh, in some states, there's a statutory requirement for legislative and executive branches to agree on projections, uh, while in others, uh, they actually can do their own projections, which can be different. 
the variation in the process can have a big impact. Uh, but with that in mind, we were wondering about how you both work on the fiscal forecasting process itself. What are some of the challenges you, you face in aligning your forecasting with the forecasting of the legislative branch, uh, or how do you bring in the governor's office uh, into that process? Um, and how have you worked together to create relationships that help you build trust in the numbers uh, that are that come out of the forecasting process? So there are uh, two you know, you know, I think about this in terms of two different uh, streams, honestly. We have a uh, appropriations right stream, but we also have uh, uh, estimates around federal reimbursements, which would be on the uh, revenue side. Because of the nature of our um, orientation here in Connecticut, um, a good deal of the reimbursement that we receive or the FFP uh, that we receive is uh, channeled back into the state general fund. So we have a pretty structured process around how we mutually forecast revenue and uh, honestly, that is probably related much more to the general revenue forecasting uh, of the state, of which we are a, a small component. But there is a process there where uh, the executive and legislative uh, branches, or the staff at least, meet and come to uh, what's called a consensus revenue forecast. Um, it's a, you know, like I said, it's a structured process. Um, it happens generally on a quarterly schedule. Um, so that is one side of, of uh, what we uh, do. and. Um, the other piece, though, around the appropriations framework is a little bit less uh, structured um, in, in, in terms of that general agreement process. Um, there's a lot of structure to the submissions, as I'm sure there are in all states. So, um, you know, we, we, the way we generally uh, work in that space is we also work to try to come to consensus, um, but once again, less structured. I think the focus there is uh, around a high level of transparency. Once again, um, you know, the same, um, the same things that we try to do to uh, uh, reinforce, support uh, the strategic uh, vision, um, you know, we're also trying to do around the uh, expenditure reporting framework and the budgeting framework. Um, so we have a high level, uh, I believe we have a high level of information sharing, um, certainly with our executive partners and also with our legislative partners. So, uh, um, you know, detailed expenditure reporting, um, uh, you know, per member costs, uh, all of what we think is the relevant information for all of us to collectively come to uh, a general agreement around, uh, you know, what's needed on the appropriation side. Um, we also have uh, a process where we share all of our estimates completely, um, both with the executive branch and with the legislature. So not only is there transparency around the expenditure reporting, um, but there is a high level of transparency around all of our estimates. Um, I think all this uh, sort of bringing us to a point where, you know, what we're trying to do is establish um, credibility with our partners, um, you know, and uh, it is a process with a high degree of uh, honesty you know, the things we know uh, we will put forward, and honestly, the things that we do not know or where there are still outstanding questions, um, you know, we're gonna flag for people. We are not trying to, um, you know, do this in a way that uh, um, is not fully transparent or, you know, that does not um, hopefully uh, support our credibility in the long run. Um, and I think by, you know, by acting in that way, we're able to achieve a general understanding. Uh, and also, you know, people understand uh, sometimes 
um, you know, where we're at in terms of perhaps not being able to share information because we're still building a, a department position. So we are very transparent and uh, I think very candid with our, um, you know, our uh, executive and legislative partners. And fortunately, I, I have to say, fortunately, we have a relationship with them that is longstanding and supports that kind of arrangement. I mean, that requires trust on, in both directions. Um, and, uh, you know, personally, I feel like uh, we have a great deal of trust uh, at both in both places, um, you know, which makes that process much easier to achieve. Yeah, uh, Mike, thank you. You know, as, a, as somebody who has been both a Medicaid director and uh, served on a appropriations committee in the legislature, I know that a lot of the technical work here is built in uh, numbers and figures and charts and graphs, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm noticing how you consistently sort of remind us of how information sharing and collaboration is key to the, to the process. And uh, Kate, I'm thinking about how uh, the Medicaid budget itself is so important to the state's fiscal uh, strength. And there's a lot of pressure on the forecasting process because if, <clears throat> if you're half a percent over budget, that's a real big problem for the state. Uh, but also if you're half a percent under, given the, the pressure on medic of Medicaid budgets on the rest of state government, uh, you can put real pressure on the rest of state government if we're too conservative uh, with our forecasting. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about how you approach the sort of the balancing act uh, of that forecasting process. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm so, uh, so fortunate to work with Mike in this because I think he emblemizes everything I believe philosophically and practically about this. <clears throat> I think we, uh, the things I want to say are, as a Medicaid director, you have to be the one to self-actualize your strategic agenda in collaboration with your important peers, your leadership, <clears throat> your finance director. I think um, often Medicaid can be kind of the, the target of uh, observations and characterizations about uh, its position in the state budget, about unqualified checks on uh, rate of growth, you know, usurping resources for other dimensions of the budget. I think for me, the first question is you are responsible for leading up and out on your strategic agenda, which should squarely, <coughs> squarely uh, address um, not only the, the premise uh, of how Medicaid is characterized, and let's definitely do that factually. And I think Mike has done an extraordinary job of equipping us to describe both our absolute position in Connecticut and our relative position over time and as compared to other states. And in the way that he described, you know, he has uh, uh, produced and we publish on a periodic basis essentially a, a, a framework of sustainability that has key indicators. It has uh, pieces around our administrative costs, it has uh, profiles of our PMPM PM trend, it has features around our categories of spend, uh, the relative percentage of the budget, uh, our revenue uh, profile from the federal government, and the corresponding uh, level of investment of state funds. Um, these are indicators that allow us to engage factually with uh, all of our stakeholders, notably with the legislators who are going to be uh, making appropriations priorities. 
Um, he also equips us on a sort of instant basis ongoing to engage, uh, we engage on a weekly basis with our budget office <clears throat> on performance on strategic priorities that are uh, embedded in the budget. Um, we are able to push information, as you said, monthly uh, to our committees of cognizance, um, and that really captures uh, a lot of the uh, line item detail that people often really speculate about in Medicaid. And absent uh, that level of information, I think people fill in their own narrative. Um, and again, pushing back on that, um, again, so that we're all kind of situated with facts is super important. Um, and Mike also gives us the opportunity to engage um, in a very detailed way with our statutory oversight body. We're uh, fortunate to have in Connecticut a very engaged Medicaid oversight body uh, with which we meet on a monthly basis. And again, back to that sort of self-actualization, not only do we feel we're responsible for setting the strategic agenda, but we help lead that agenda setting for that group uh, to uh, align with the priorities of our strategic agenda and we regularly feature, you know, information on the enrollment uh, trends, uh, how that is affecting our PMPM. We um, have the benefit of Mike showing visualizations about that that are accessible. I, I can't stress that enough because we can't just share data. We have to actually set it in context and help people be able to parse it in ways that are meaningful. But these are some of the ways I think in which our work marries up to uh, help people understand, you know, the, the true reality of where we're situated, uh, our trends, but also engage specifically, you know, if we see areas of concern, bubbles of spend, or a misalignment with where we want to be situated, you know, to help engage us in a critical discussion of what we can do differently or better to help situate us to perform there. So I think that's really our kind of fulcrum point is, push a lot of information in a, an annotated contextual way and then really use that to keep course correcting as we go forward. Hey, thank you. Uh, we know that nobody wants to think about a recession or a potential economic downturn, but as uh, director and CFO, the economic status of your state uh, certainly plays a role in your forecasting process and uh, sort of the factors that you have to think about are you planning for a recession? And if so, how are you taking that into consideration? I think it's absolutely mandatory that we, we do have that top of mind. Obviously, Connecticut struggled a great deal in the last recession. We were uh, uh, among states that emerged slowly from the recession, particularly from the standpoint of replacement of the jobs that uh, Medicaid members otherwise would, uh, on which they would have been relying. <clears throat> so I think we're acutely conscious of um, the, the need to mitigate risk in that respect. So our, our structure is a big part of that. How can we be as lean and efficient as possible in our operations of Medicaid? That may not seem like the sort of sexiest area of focus of Medicaid, uh, but for us, it's actually freed up resources to become a self-insured model that we've been able to reinvest in the types of strategic priorities around care coordination, integration, and as Mike said, rebalancing of long-term services and supports that we know we absolutely know it's not a hypothesis we know will help us keep controlling that cost trend. 
So I think that, that piece is uh, very important. Examining structure and operations are you as calibrated as possible and as, as efficient and effective. I think the other piece is examining how you can accelerate aspects of your reform agenda that are really meaningful. Um, for us in Connecticut, that's our rebalancing agenda. We have a multifaceted, governor-led rebalancing agenda that is helping to reverse that historical uh, in higher, higher than, than needed or wanted incidence of use of institutional care for older adults and people with disabilities. The more we can do to keep strategizing, building and layering on the approaches there to help uh, people re-engage in community settings um, helps our cost trends. So I think that's a particular area of focus here that we see is not only about member needs, uh, but it's about optimizing spend in the program. And that's a, an example of risk mitigation. And then I think uh, really examining, you know, that constant attention to where we are situated with respect to outcomes, proving that out as, as a, a component of justifying the state investment in Medicaid, given a lot of competing priorities, <clears throat> no matter how good the economy, there's a lot of other areas of investment. So all we can do there, um, not only to justify that, but to examine opportunities across budget sectors. Um, a really important area of focus for me right now is implementing a supportive housing benefit in Medicaid, which we're gonna be doing later this year. Um, that's an opportunity to examine spend in two different sectors of the budget, the Medicaid match and the housing vouchers, and how we can look across those budget uh, domains to optimize uh, the use of state resources. A non-exclusive example, um, there's plenty of other opportunities like in justice settings and the like. Um, so I think those are some of the ways I, which I think about that, uh, Mark. You know, this is a topic that I always find very exciting. Uh, Medicaid financing and forecasting, I think, is such an important topic, and we could talk all day. But um, maybe a, a last question that I would ask the two of you to to share just sort of general thoughts about: Do you have advice about what strategies or insights you'd share with other directors or CFOs as they work to create a forecasting process that reflects their state strategic priorities uh, and how to work with the other partners uh, throughout state government uh, in order to build trust and uh, have that process be successful? So Mark, maybe if I could take the uh, first part of that. Um, so I think that, you know, there are maybe two components to that piece. So when I think about uh, what you just mentioned, um, what we have tried to do here is uh, set up some benchmarks that correspond to both the strategic direction, but also to take a step back and say, okay, what are the expectations of my stakeholders around funding? So if the expectation would be something like, you know, we achieve a, a, a steady PMPM or a low or, or uh, you know, a PMPM without any growth over a certain number of years, right, uh, would people from the outside looking at some of those benchmarks, you know, see that as a sign of good performance. So, um, you know, keeping the admin uh, uh, load uh, at a low level, you know, so there's two different components to that. One is, okay, are we shifting the money to the right places that correspond to what we're trying to do strategically? And then on top of that, if you're looking at things from the outside, what would you consider to be, you know, good uh, or benchmarks that would support what you would view as a uh, uh, solid 
lovely performing program. So if we can do both of those uh, pieces uh, from a benchmarking perspective, uh, you know, as Kate was uh, speaking to, we can, um, you know, convince uh, folks in the uh, with an outside perspective that we are operating, um, you know, in a positive direction, in a strategic direction, and achieving uh, the results that uh, you know anybody looking at the program would think are, uh, I think, uh, at a high level of performance. So that's what we're trying to do. So when we look at things, I think uh, you know what I would say is that you know obviously every state is is uniquely situated, but uh, you know there would be benchmarks or um, you know certain performance outcomes from a financial perspective that you could uh, put forward, uh, you know, sort of representing those kinds of thoughts. Um, you know, what would you view as a well-performing program? Um, and uh, you know, what's your context to frame those within? So I think that's what we've tried to do here to build, you know, that faith um, in what we're doing. Um, and then I think other, you know, I think good things follow from that. You know, the um, the relationships, the credibility, um, you know, things of that nature then uh, are easier to put into place um, when you have that framework. So, Mike, thanks, Kate. Any other suggestions to Medicaid leaders across the country? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this goes back to the, the leadership agenda that NEMD is really championing. It's just basic pieces around, you know, connections on a personal basis, uh, being timely and forthright, all those things that Mike talked about, pushing information as opposed to waiting to have that information demanded from you. Um, this. I think in state government, sometimes we can kind of fold down if we feel like there's an, an adversarial relationship or there's a, a bad history. And in fact, I think our experience is the more you kind of engage there and push out rather than uh, kind of go back into the bunker, um, the better. And it's not always an easy process. We don't mean to gloss over any of that aspect, but I think you can really rely on having done your utmost to kind of tell the story, set the agenda, and equip people with facts, um, which I guess Mike and I feel like is a great resting position no matter what the result. And kind of that, that kind of equips us to get in the mix. Um, and then really, you know, like I was saying earlier, um, I think that piece of, of getting to know one another, uh, not making assumptions on both sides about perspective or orientation, you know, the finance person's not just the dollars and cents person, the Medicaid director is not that just the person spending all the money. Um, you know, we have mutual interests. And, and I think in some cases it may be important to really say what are those mutual interests and kind of establish that kind of values agenda internally if it's not naturally occurring. Hey, Mike, thank you. Uh, it really strikes me that uh, the positions that you're in are a combination of both significant opportunity to serve individuals in your state and improve their their health and well-being. At the same time, it's uh, a very significant way to being stewards of financial uh, dollars. And really appreciate the themes that you've brought out today about both sort of the technical pieces of that and the importance of transparency and uh, being factual and uh, sharing the information, but also the, the sort of the relationship pieces and the importance of facilitating uh, alignment around vision and building a coherent set of strategies, uh, which uh, you've both mentioned in many ways help 
build the credibility of the process, which uh, is so fundamental in, in my experience of uh, being leaders in the public sector is consistently trying to, to build the trust that allow those relationships to work uh, and to really uh, help carry forward the vision that you've talked about. So uh, really appreciate you sharing the lessons that you've learned in your positions and the, the wisdom that you've gained. Uh, Hillary, with that, I'll turn things back to you. Great, thanks Mark, and thanks Kate and Mike. I think, again, to champion what Mark said in his <clears throat> final remarks, a lot of doing this work well rests on relationships that are um, based in trust, which you guys sort of facilitate, facilitate and create by being very fact-based, being very transparent, um, and I think that's important information that, that everybody can take um, in the fiscal forecasting and strategic sustainability, but also in all other aspects of, of working together um, in the Medicaid program with internal and external stakeholders. So thank you so much for touching upon such a core component of um, the leadership skill sets that are needed to do public sector leadership well. Um, with that, I want to just thank you all for joining us. Um, I hope everybody listening has found this conversation valuable. I suggest that you subscribe to these podcasts, which again, it's called Medicaid Leadership Exchange. They're on the Apple Podcast Store. Um, we also link to them on the NAMD and CHCS websites. So you'll be able to find them in multiple ways and we hope you find them valuable and we will continue to, to highlight the good work of directors and their staff as they lead the program um, through some really complicated technical technical areas. So thanks again, everybody.